This anointed teaching by Apostle Theo Volmerans comes to you from Christian Family Church International. Hi, family. So glad we can be together again this weekend. All of you in the main auditorium, say hi. Give me a wave. Praise God. So good to be with you. All of you in the theater, say hi. Give me a wave. So good to be with you. Praise the Lord. And all of you in the Dr. Theo, won't you wave and say hi. So good to be with you. And we haven't forgotten about you in the Dr. Bev. Please say hi. Give us a big wave. So nice to be with you too. Oh, and all of you at home, say hi. Give me a big wave. Bless your hearts. All right. We're starting today with part two in our series, The Sword of the Spirit. The Sword of the Spirit. Learning to push back the forces of darkness, the forces of the Antichrist that are trying to control the church. Taking our place, taking our position and our authority in this world as, as Christians. All right, before Jesus was caught up into the clouds from the Mount of Olives, he transferred his authority to the church. Jesus Christ is the head of the church. Believers make up the body of Christ. The authority of Christ has to be carried out through the body of Christ. Christians know that Jesus Christ is the supreme authority. However, Christians do not know that Christ, the head of the church, is totally dependent on the body to get his plan accomplished. The only way Christ can exercise authority over the kingdom of darkness is through his body, through us, the church. The Bible tells us that Christ is the head and that we are the body of one person. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 22, from the New Living Translation. God has put all things under the authority of Christ and has made Christ head over all things for the benefit of the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. Now notice this. It says in verse 22, go back there, that Christ is made head over all things for the benefit of the church, which is his body. So say this, the church is the body of Christ. All believers around the world make up the church. And the church and the body are one and the same thing, according to Ephesians 1. One and the same thing. So, Christ is the head. We, the rest, all believers, make up the body. Okay? God wants us to know what we have inherited. 
he is referring particularly to the great authority he has given us. We can never understand this great authority by the intellect alone. This must come by revelation. It must be revealed to our hearts by the Holy Spirit as we meditate on these scriptures. If we do that, we'll start walking in this authority which is ours by inheritance. Let's go to Colossians 2 verse 13 from the NIV translation. When you were dead in your sins and in the uncircumcision of your sinful nature, God made you alive with Christ. He forgave us all our sins. So when were you made alive when Christ rose from the dead? When God raised Christ, he raised you. That's what it said. God made you alive with Christ. He forgave us all of our sins. Having canceled the written code with its regulations that was against us and that stood opposed to us, he took it away, nailing it to the cross. God is telling us here that all the laws we broke, I'm talking about the entire human race now, not just you and me, God took all of our sins and all the wrong we've done, according to verse 14, and he nailed it to the cross. Nailed it to the cross. What's that talking about? Paul's writing this letter here to the church at Colossae, and he's using Roman practices to explain the truth of God's word. Everybody understood Roman practices in that age. And when somebody had committed crimes, they would take the list of the crimes that they had committed and were charged guilty for, and they would nail it onto their front door so that anybody walking past could see all the bad things they were convicted of by the court on that list. So God is saying he took that list, one we have in heaven, all our wrongs listed, and he nailed it to the cross. In other words, paid in full, paid in full. Instead of nailing that list on your front door, my front door, he nailed it to the cross, and he paid it in full. 15, now, having disarmed the powers and authorities, which are different ranks of evil spirits, as seen in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 12, God made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross having disarmed the powers and authorities. So we see then, by God, nailing our sins to the cross, demons were disarmed. Satan was disarmed. In other words, God is saying, 
that our forgiveness disarmed the devil. He has no authority over us because we are forgiven. Likewise, our sins arm Satan. Or let's say it this way. Our unconfessed sin opens a door allowing Satan to attack us freely. That's why it's important when we mess up to ask God to forgive us like Colossians 1.9 says, like um, 1 John 1.9 says. Staying in fellowship with the Father is our protection. While his body hung on the cross, Christ, his spirit, left his body and descended into the flames of hell. Now, I know small wars have been fought over that statement, that Christ went to hell for three days in, in our place. But I'm going to give you one, two, three, four, five scriptures to confirm that, just in case anybody is a little uncertain about this. All right? Write them down. They can go on. They'll be on the screen. Psalm 16, verse 10. Acts chapter 2, verse 27, and verse 31. Matthew chapter 12, verse 40. Exodus chapter 12, verse 9. Read that in the New King James translation, Exodus 12, 9. Then Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 9. The Bible tells us in the New King James that he went into the lower parts of the earth. Now that word lower in the Greek is the word Hades. If you look it up, Strong's number 2737. 2737 Strong's, you'll see that the word lower, he went into the lower parts of the earth, is the word Hades. Another word for lower is Hades. So there's five scriptures to confirm that Christ went into the fires of hell in our place while his body was in the tomb. All right. So while Christ was in that state, in the fires of hell, with the burden of our sin upon him, being punished in our place, Satan, together with the kingdom of darkness, tried to hold him captive under their power. After three days and nights, the penalty of, our, of mankind's sin was fully paid for and Christ's judgment ended. Again, after three days, the penalty of man's sin was fully paid for by Christ while in Hades. And so, man's punishment ended, or Christ's punishment ended because he took it. The Bible tells us in Romans 4.25, Christ was delivered up because of our offenses. So we know Christ died because of our offenses, according to the New King James translation. Then it goes on to say, and was raised, raised from life, from, from death to life, because of our justification, because of our justification. 
You see, when the Father had fully, fully punished us, because he's punishing Jesus, but really he's punishing us, right? When the Father said the human race has been fully punished, then Christ was allowed to rise from the dead. Because he died on our behalf, he was in hell on our behalf, and he was being punished for us. So when our punishment was done and complete, then Christ, there was no need for him to stay there any longer. Now, there are a number of translations that read it exactly that way, and there are some that say he raised, he was raised, he was raised for our justification. He was raised, in other words, to bring justification to us, and that can't be right. It can't be right. We weren't justified because of his resurrection. He was in the fires of hell because of our sin. And when the punishment was done, he was free to rise. So the New King James, the King James, and some other translations have the correct interpretation of that event. Now, it was at this point that Christ disarmed the principalities and powers. They were trying to hold him captive while he is still in the fires of hell. Now, can you imagine the Spirit of God coming down from the throne, entering into the fires of the damned, entering into Christ, and he's born again. Born again. In other words, from death into life. The Bible tells us he was the firstborn from the dead. It says that three times in the New Testament. Now, that's not talking about his manger experience. He wasn't born from the dead in a manger. He came back from death into life, out of separation from God, back into separation from God, with God. And when that happened, these demons, spirits, and Satan were trying to hold him bondage. The light and the glory of God entered him. They just were hurled back against the walls of the caverns of the damned. In fear and terror, he stood to his feet and he walked over to Satan, took him by the scruff of the neck and said, give me the keys, the keys of authority that he immorally took, legally took, but immorally took from Adam. And... Uh, then took him by the scruff of the neck and walked him through the corridors of the damned before all the demonic spirits that were there. Now, to give you an illustration of what that's like, uh, first let me read from Revelation 1 verse 8. Jesus said after his resurrection and he spoke to John on the Isle of Patmos and he said, I'm the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, says the Lord, who is and who was and who is to come, who is and who was <laughs> and is to come. So his time in hell was that period who was 
and he is to come. And then he said, I am he who lives and was dead. And behold, I am alive forevermore. Amen. And I have the keys of Hades and of death. I have the keys. When Paul wrote this letter to the church at Colossae, he used terminology that was used by the Romans. And since they understood Roman practices, they knew what he's talking about. And Paul did this to explain what Christ did. After a Roman general had conquered his enemy, he would tie the defeated general to the back of his chariot. And as the Roman general, together with his victorious army, arrived in Rome, they would walk slowly through the streets while the crowds cheered from the sides and from buildings up above. The defeated general would be dragged along behind the Roman general's chariot. Jesus Christ dragged Satan by the scruff of the neck in front of three worlds, before the angels of heaven, the men of earth, and the defeated demons from hell. God wants us to know how Jesus bought authority for us over Satan. He wants us to know. Ephesians 1.20 says, When God raised Christ from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places, far above all principality and power, and might and dominion, and every name that was named, not only in this age, but also in that which is to come. And God put all things under Christ's feet and gave Christ to be head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. So once again, we see the church is Christ's body and that Christ fills the entire body with himself. So here we see that Christ is the head of the church, which is his body. Therefore, Christ and the church are one being, one person. Therefore, when God gave Christ such authority and power, it was given to us at the same time. If we are the body and Christ is the head, and Christ was given such authority of all things, then that authority was given to the whole man, not just the head of the man. So if we are the body, then the feet of Christ refer to us, or you might say, because we are the body, then when God talks about the feet of Christ, he's talking about the church. Therefore, all things are under our feet because we are seated in heavenly places in Christ Jesus, according to Ephesians 2.6. All right, so look at that again. It says in Ephesians 1.22, back on the screen, and God put all things under Christ's feet. And if we are the body, then the feet are talking about us. God put all things under us, because we are in Christ. Now look at Luke ten nineteen, and we'll understand what Jesus is talking about here. 
Behold, I give you authority to trample on serpents and scorpions, and over all the power of the enemy, and nothing shall by any means hurt you. So Satan and all his powers are under our feet. Therefore, Jesus said, you'll trample on them. Praise God. Praise God. We have been given authority to walk on demonic spirits, not necessarily with our feet, but with our words. We have authority over them. We have authority over them. And he said, nothing shall by any means hurt you. If we'll learn to walk in our authority, that's what God promises us. Nothing will be able to hurt us. This is available to us. It's purchased by Jesus at the cross. During the first half of 2004, I decided to pray and ask the Father for a certain amount of money. I was sitting in the aircraft, circling around Jasper, coming to land back in 2004, in the first half of the year. And um, I made a decision I needed some money for a certain thing I wanted to, to do. It was a fair amount of money, too. So I prayed according to Mark 11:24 and asked the Father for it and received it. Whatever things you desire when you pray, believe that you receive them and you will have them. So I believe that I received that amount of money from the Father. And uh, I landed, and um, I met Dr. Peter Cox. And when I met him, I said to him, Dr. Pete, Master Sue, I have a few niceties, we spoke a little bit. Then I said to him, I've asked God for X amount of money, and I've received it. And uh, somebody has this money for me here in Janesburg, and they will give it to me before I leave. Well, that uh, caused him to choke a little bit. He couldn't swallow that. <laughs> and before he could say a word, I just said, Dr. Pete, please, don't even think about it. Just say, I agree. And he said, okay, I agree. And um, so I went through my normal time in South Africa, tending to business, and uh, the day came for me to fly out of Johannesburg, and sitting in the aircraft, as I saw the lights of Johannesburg fading in the distance, I remembered. The devil said to me, you don't have the money. You said you'd have the money when you left. And... Um, I reached into my bag and I pulled out my little travel Bible, opened it to Mark 11, 24, and I read it out. I said, now, Mr. Devil, let me read this to you. Jesus said, whatever things you desire, when you pray, 
Believe that you receive them, and you shall have them. So I said, now I believe I received. So I've got it by faith. And Jesus said, if I believe I receive, it's done. I own it. My faith is the evidence of things not seen. So I said, Mr. Devil, I have it. I own it in Jesus' name. Now, right there, I missed an opportunity. I should have said, Satan, I bind you over my finances. You will not hinder my finances in any way. In the name of Jesus. Now, if I'd done that, a lot of things would have changed. All right, let's continue with my story. A few days later, I got a phone call from Dr. Pete. He said somebody called him and said that they have some cash to give me. And it's exactly the same amount of money that I prayed and asked God for. So I said, fine, praise the Lord. And he said to me, well, they're going to bring it to me, and I will keep it for you. I said, fine. So this is back in 2004 now, right? And uh, so then uh, a few days later, he said, he found me and said, look, something happened. They couldn't get you. And uh, then eventually he called me and said, the money has arrived. But you need to hear the story. And when you come, I'm going to arrange for this man and his family to come see you and tell you what happened. I said, fine. So after church that Sunday morning, they were there, and I brought them into the back, into the green room, and they told me the story. The businessman said, the devil told me he's going to kill me if I give you this money. And I knew I had to get it out of my hands as quick as possible. But every time I tried to give it to you, something went wrong, and I wasn't able to bring it over. I wanted to give it to you while you were here in your previous trip. And he said, finally, I asked my wife to take it to Dr. Peter in the car. So she put it in the back of the car, in the boot, in her handbag. And she was traveling along the freeway to the church about five minutes away. We're at the old building at that time. And uh, she noticed lights flashing in her mirror. Now, she's in the slow lane on the freeway. And the lights flashing in the mirror, she looked into the mirror, and there's a car approaching a few hundred meters behind her with the lights flashing, traveling at a very high speed. And she had looked around, where can she go? There's nowhere. I mean, the lanes of the freeway are all packed with traffic. And so she just told the kids, hold on, and this car rammed them. Their car took off and went right off the freeway, fortunately. And the other car also ended up off the freeway. When they came to a standstill, she took the kids out, they were all fine. And then uh, she said to her son, go back and look in the boot and see if the bag is fine with all the money in it. When he went around the back, the boot was open like a Pepsi can that had burst. 
Another boot there. And then he looked back and he saw the handbag on the freeway, on the slow lane, exactly where the impact took place. A few hundred feet back, uh, 100 yards or 200 yards back, meters back. And so he ran to get it. And the cars now were going very slowly past that handbag, as they do when accidents happen. And he picked it up, and no one stopped their car, opened their door, put that handbag in their car, and drove off. They just left it, which they could have done so easily. He brought the bag back to the car, and they opened it and found all the money's inside. Now, as he told the story to me, instantly, the complete understanding of what happened in the realm of the spirit world dropped into my heart. I understood that Satan caused that accident, trying to stop the money coming to me. I understood that he took that bag out of the boot and put it on the freeway, trying to arrange somebody to steal it. I can just, and I just imagined the angels standing there with their swords drawn saying, no, you don't. And the Lord dropped this into my heart right away. If you had bound Satan after praying and told him not to touch your money, none of that would have happened. You'd have got your money on your first trip in South Africa. Now, unfortunately, though, had I done that, we wouldn't have a story to tell you today. The lesson here is, if we deal with the demonic spirits in the atmosphere around us, we can control the natural circumstances. And we have authority to do so. But because I did not deal with this demonic, these demonic spirits, they almost got my money. They almost got it away from me. But because I held fast to my faith, it eventually came. So we see that faith is wonderful, and we have to have it, but we also need to use the sword of the Spirit and exercise our authority. Now, I'm going to close with another story, which is amazing. This story is, um, was told to me by Pastor Stan Moore, uh, his wife, Geraldine, Pastor Geraldine, were very good friends of ours from Miami, Florida. They pastor a great church they called Words of Life. And um, we've known them for many, many years. He's passed on now. Stan died at 91 years of age. He's gone to be with the Lord. Wonderful man. Him and his wonderful wife. He passed on at the age of 91 uh, in 2017, 2017. And he tells this story. He says they built a new building. And they found that they needed more parking for the new building. And there were five acres of land at the edge of their property 
that was vacant. So he put an offer and they purchased this property. And then they found out that the United States government had condemned this land, condemned it, because it was used for a creosote plant. Creosote is an oil chemical which comes from black tar that had been sleeping, that had been seeping into the ground for many years. Creosote. And so this property was condemned. Could not be used for anything at all. Fenced off. So they purchased this $200,000 per acre back then. Five acres. A million dollars for the land. Shortly after that purchase, now they're trying to get this land um, cleared up by the, the government so they can use it somehow. And shortly after this purchase, he went to a Kenneth E. Hagan camp meeting. And after the camp meeting one night, he was invited to Kenneth E. Hagan's house with some friends of Kenneth Hagan. And he had never met Kenneth Hagin up until that time. And while they were all in the house, they were actually sitting in the kitchen. And he was on the floor. He told me the story. He's on the floor with his back against the wall. And he's just sitting there. And they're all fellowshipping, I don't know, 15, 20 pastors and wives. And suddenly, Kenneth e. Hagin says, we must pray. And so they all close their eyes and begin to pray in the Spirit. And then Kenneth e. Hagin says, I see, and he describes this. He describes a large black demon inside a square black box living in the ground on this five acres that Stan had bought. And so he called that demon and he commanded it to come out and leave that property. Now when he did that, Stan Moore had not told a soul about this. The anointing of God came on me and he just slid down and <laughs> went out on the power on the floor. He had no idea this was coming. And then after this event, he told Kenneth Hagin what had happened with this property. And he went back home to Florida after this meeting, this crusade. And he went to the city, the government, and he said, look, something's happened. I want you to re-examine this five acres. And they said, no, we can't do that. We're never, we've never, ever re-examined anything. We've tested that land. It's full of creosote. There's no way it'll ever be used. It's condemned. So he negotiated with them for months. And eventually they agreed to test it. And when they tested it, it came back negative. And they were freaking out about this. They didn't believe their own government uh, organization. And so they hired a professional private company, the government did, to come and test it and found out it was free 
They couldn't find a trace of creosote on that entire five acres. And they drilled down deep. So here's the thing. We see that demonic spirits have more influence in our daily lives than we ever dreamed possible. Number one. Number two, they will do anything they can to hinder your progress because you're a child of God. Number three, use your authority, command those demons to move out. And you can control the natural world by taking authority in the spiritual world. All right, God richly bless you. We'll carry on with this series, The Sword of the Spirit, next weekend. Every head bowed and every eye closed. How many would say, Apostle Theo, I want to be sure I'll go to heaven. I don't know if I am or not. While heads are bowed, while eyes are closed. I'm going to count to three. If you want to be sure, slip your hand up and then take it down. And God will speak to your heart when I pray. If you need the assurance of your salvation. All right? Wherever you are, at the church or at home. Here we go, I'm counting. One, two, three. All right, praise God. Keep your hands up for a moment. Now say this prayer with me. Father God, I declare Jesus is my Lord and Savior. I will serve the Lord with all my heart until I see Him on that wonderful day. Thank you for cleansing me from all of my sins. Amen. All right, praise God. Now remember, if you are at home, come to church. Don't stay at home. You're going to dry up, grow cold. You don't want to end up being a foolish virgin. All the wise virgins go to church. Love you all. See you next weekend. Thank you for joining us during this episode of Living Life with Dr. Theo and Bev Volmerantz. We hope that through this inspired teaching, you had an encounter with God. If you enjoy the teaching ministry of Apostle Theo and Dr. Bev Volmerantz and would like to enjoy more resources, we hope you will visit our website at www.christianfamilychurch.co.za or for our American listeners, www.christianfamilychurchsa.com. Oh,